are literally doing exactly that which he has commanded us to do and he himself did. There, before the advent of revelation, before the Prophet والسلام, was visited by the angel Jibra'il, he had decided to belong to an organization called Hifl Fudul. And Hifl Fudul, we know, was an organization that was committed to basically uplifting those who had been oppressed. That the Prophet والسلام, even before revelation, just on his own cognizance, on his own relationship with Allah, was concerned about how he might become nearer and closer to Allah. And he recognized that part of his own personal relationship with Allah would mean that he would need to reflect upon the, the ills of his society. And he needed to find a way by which he would be able to be a means to eradicate some of the suffering that was happening as a result of the rise of material, of material wealth and gain that was happening in the Meccan society. And as a result of that greed for material wealth, that there were people who were being, being ill-treated because of that. And so the Prophet والسلام, recognizing that, said that there's something that I must do, that literally his heart had become moved by the circumstances that he saw in front of him. And what circumstances, who was he connected to that he would be able to see this up close? See, the beloved messenger of Allah والسلام, the one whom we claim to love, was directly connected to multiple black folk. One of them, he said, was the mother after his mother. That our mother, Um Ayman Baraka, as he called her, this was a woman that, subhanAllah, she was with the beloved messenger of Allah, alayhi salatu wasalam. It was her black, beautiful hands that were the first to receive him into this world. And it was actually her hands that literally dug the grave of the messenger of Allah's mother, alayhi salatu wasalam that it was her hands that dug the grave of our lady Amina. And it was her hand that held the hand of our beloved messenger of Allah والسلام, as she walked him back as a child into Mecca. It was her hands that, that used to comfort him. It was literally her hand that used to feed him. It was her hand that used to comfort him when he was an orphan. It was her hand that used to also walk him to the Kaaba. It was her hand that used to also walk him to the, to the home of his grandfather and to the home of his uncle. And we know that subhanAllah, it was her eyes that wept when she, was, when she last saw the Prophet And so his direct connection, not only with Umm Ayman, but with countless others, that this wasn't something that was distant to him. This wasn't something that although he was very clear about how people of her status, people of her color, and people who belonged to her tribe were treated in Mecca, that he was already certain. He was already sure that this would not be my character. This would not be my state. And that even before the advent of Islam, he recognized that it is not enough 
to simply have in my heart that I don't like the way that they're being treated, but he would join an organization that says that I am committed to making sure that their status as, as a human being is recognized, acknowledged, and uplifted. And so when we look at subhanAllah, the messenger of Allah what Islam did was brought nur and a nur, brought light upon light. That when the angel Jibra'il came to visit the Prophet and expand his already beautifully broadened chest, what that light brought upon his light began to shine bright upon humanity. And what we are asked to evaluate in the light of revelation, in the light of the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad what we're asked to evaluate is where is our faith? What we're asked to evaluate is what are we doing to save our own souls? And what is the weight of his majestic and mighty example in our lives? And what is the weight of the Quran in our actions? When we look at the Prophet one of the first things he did as a prophet, as he had one of his best friends, we know was Abu Bakr as-Siddiq And when he encountered Bilal, he immediately said, and he, when he heard about that which Bilal was suffering, at the exact moment where literally his back is on the hot sand, and his and one is pressing this boulder upon his chest he tells abu bakr go free him go free your brother what's significant about this is that he tells him oh you of privilege oh you who has the ability oh you who has the resources who has the status I'm asking you to do two things. You're going to sacrifice your wealth, your time, and your status to free him. That there may be other people who look at you who are in your same social stratosphere, who are in your same social status, who are in your same social circle, who are in your same realm, and wonder, why are you wasting your time with these people? Why are you wasting your time with these poor and disenfranchised and seemingly, seemingly uneducated people? That what is their value and their worth to you personally? But what we learned from our great teacher, Abu Bakr Siddiq, Allah ta'ala anhu, that we learned, subhanAllah, what it means to be a true ally what it means that what what do you do when you have privilege when you have status when you have even a little bit of wealth you sacrifice it you use it in order to benefit someone else you sacrifice whatever you have in order to elevate someone else and so subhanallah what we recognize is that this was a direct commandment from the prophet والسلام, to abu bakr siddiq but it wasn't only to him it was to all of us as we know the messenger of allah والسلام, there are many times that he commanded us told us encouraged us to free those who were in capture now you might say to me oh sister aisha we don't have anybody who's in capture today then we need to pay closer attention to our 
to our situation and our circumstance. In order for the Prophet to move his community away from one particular thinking to another particular thinking, from one status to another spiritual status, that part of what they needed to do in order to be successful, in order to build a society that was based upon righteousness, he said, we've got to migrate. We've got to make a hijrah. And this hijrah is not only a physical one, it is a spiritual hijrah. This will be a hijrah, a migration toward Allah and his messenger. And in order to make that journey, there's some, there's some baggage we've got to leave behind. And so the Prophet of Allah والسلام, commanded his community to migrate to Abyssinia. And in this first migration to Abyssinia, literally he told his people, you're going to move to Africa. You're going to do what Marcus Garvey told us to do. You're going to migrate to Africa. And when you get to Africa, there are going to be a multitude of lessons that you're going to learn. But the first one of them is that your usual encounter with these people, your usual encounter with people of East Africa, your usual encounter of people of dark skin is that they, are, they should be subjective to you, that they should be in a, in, a, in, a, in a place of servitude to you, that they should be in a position where somehow they are literally serving you or, or doing something for you, that they are in a lower status in society. But the Messenger of Allah will tell them to migrate to Abyssinia to say that if you're used to looking down at them, now you're going to look up at them. That if you're used to looking at them to be in a social status or looking at them as lesser intelligent or lesser capable, you're literally now going to seek refuge in them. You're going to ask for their governance to be a means of mercy for you that you're going to ask them to overlook your sins and transgressions for what you have done and what you have literally stolen from them. And you're going to literally ask them to help and to assist you, to save you mentally, physically, and spiritually. And by the way, that when they approached King Najashi, he was not a Muslim. It wasn't about necessarily his religious status. It wasn't necessarily because he was this Muslim leader. It was because he was a leader of moral character. It was because he was a leader of, of that he could teach a level of governance, the likes that Arabia had not seen at that particular time. See, the justice system of King Najashi was one that was, it was, systemic justice. It was one of that we, someone could hear, be heard out in court, as opposed to in Arabia, literally they were, it was a gangster style justice. That if you attacked me, I would bring my whole posse, my whole crew, my whole gang to attack you. Then your tribe would come and I would bring my tribe. They were literally, they were literally thugging it out in the streets. That was the status of Arabia when they reached Abyssinia. And so when they reached Abyssinia, what they recognized is that this is not a gangster style of life, that this is a style of life that is based upon a great civilization, and we are in need to learn from it. And so literally, King Najashi took mercy upon them, gave them refuge, 
listened to them, became a great ally as those who were, you know, against those who were persecuting them. And then Alhamdulillah elevated that status by later becoming a Muslim. But what was necessary for them to learn and it wasn't just the Prophet sent. He didn't just send like, let's send Bilal and, you know, let's send Um Ayman. No, he sent his own people. He sent some of the Quraysh. He sent those who were, he sent Jafar, who those who were related to him. Meaning I'm, I'm going to send my own, not just somebody else's in order to, in, to go to Abyssinia and to learn governance from them. And it was actually from the lessons and the benefit that he learned from Abyssinia that this would be a foundation by which he would be able to establish many, the, many of the principles of brotherhood and the principles of community and the principles of governance in Medina. So when we sing about Medina, we must sing about Abyssinia. We must sing about what they learned. We must give reverence, we must give honor to that which they learned it from, and they got it from the motherland. Another thing I want to mention about something the Prophet did, we know that when Bilal, when it came time for the Adhan, when it was time to establish the prayer, and they would find a way, you know, and, and many would have dreams about this Adhan being called, the Prophet would choose Bilal. And you know, I find subhanAllah, even certain people today kind of reflecting and saying, well, they chose Bilal because he had the best singing voice. I can't tell you how problematic that is. They said they chose Bilal, you know, because he, he had the best singing voice, but in reality, he chose Bilal because Bilal was used to getting up very early in the morning. And the Prophet ﷺ would see him when he would get up to pray, that he would find Bilal actually already praying there. And so because of this, he would find Bilal engaged in worship early in the morning. He said, this is someone who would be able to wake us for Fajr because he's already awake. It wasn't because of his ability to entertain us with the beauty of his voice. Then on another, you know, there would be people who would debate it and say, Ya Rasulullah, not Bilal, not Bilal. Like, choose me, Ya Rasulullah, choose me over Bilal. Don't make him one of yours. And even because partly of their reason for this was because of the, the, the people that he belonged to, because of his color. They didn't want that to be their representation. They said, we want another face. We want someone else. And the Prophet, والسلام, recognizing the disease that was in their hearts, would dismiss them. And even today, there were they, even today we hear some teachers actually mimic some of the words of the ignorant of that time, saying that Bilal they didn't want Bilal because his Arabic wasn't the best. Because instead of saying Ashhadu, he would say Ashhadu. But in reality, that is a lie. Because the reality is that Bilal he had lived in Arabia majority of his life, and his father was an Arab. His father was an Arab. So we know that Bilal did not have this impediment as it related to his speech. He did not have a deficiency in his Arabic. That was not the reason. And if we were to think that is the reason, then we ourselves are allowing ourselves to be misguided by false things of division. And so the Prophet 
he would have it that he would say, you know what, Bilal, I'm going to put your feet on top of this camera. That those who used to look down on you, they're now going to look up at you. And those who used to ignore you, now they're going to respond to the sound of your voice, whether they like it or not. It basically, it, in, in their response to your voice will be a response to the call of Allah. That they cannot ignore it because it is literally calling their souls to Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. I want to mention a last narration of the Prophet والسلام, as it relates to a, a, a time when Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, as we're familiar with this narration, where Bilal ibn Rabba stepped on the foot of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari. And as he snapped on his foot, Abu Dhar al-Ghifari called him, oh, you son of a black woman. And I want to talk a little bit about this statement when he says, oh, you son of a black woman. He's literally, of course, Bilal is not ashamed that he is the son of a black woman, right? He's like, you can call me the son of a black woman as you can call me the daughter of a black woman and the daughter of another black woman who was the daughter of another strong black woman and a strong, beautiful, intelligent black woman before her. But what he recognizes is that he intended to insult him by those words because he knew that his father was an Arab. So why didn't he call him, you son of an Arab? He was calling him, you son of a black woman because he wanted to insult him. As many times happens in, in our families as Muslims, when we want to call someone, we say, oh, you're, you're dark skinned. You're, you know, you're a Negro because of your skin color or because of your hair, because you stayed out in the sun too long. We mean it as an insult. May Allah help us. And so the Bilal ibn Rabah, being the intelligent one that he was, recognized that if you have that level of ignorance in your heart, you're not going to be able to listen to me. But I reckon, but he recognized there's something greater in you, and that is the belief in La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah alayhi salatu wasalam. So he took him to the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam. He said, Ya Rasulullah, this is what Abu Dhar al-Ghifari said to me. And the Prophet alayhi salatu wasalam, in his wisdom, recognized immediately what's happening. And so he said to Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, he immediately reprimanded him saying that you still have some ignorance, some jahiliyyah in your heart, not just in your thinking, but in the core of you. There is something that is in the core of you that is rotting. This is what he's telling him. Right? And immediately Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, of course, being reprimanded by khuluq al-adhim, by the best of creation, recognizes it and he puts his head on the ground. And listen to what he says to him. He says, oh, Bilal, I'm not getting up until you put your foot on my neck. Can you imagine if the police officers today said, I recognize what I did wrong. I'm not just going to take a knee, but I'm going to tell you to do to me what I've been doing to you. Put your foot upon my neck. This is what Abu Dhar al-Ghifari did. He said to Bilal, put your foot upon my neck. I won't, I won't get up. I won't get up. I won't, I won't find that, I, that this situation has been rectified. I don't want to get up and stand in front of Allah until I know that this is removed from me. I want you to put your black foot upon my neck. Yeah, Bilal. And Abu Dhar, he didn't want to do it. Bilal, he didn't want to do it. But because he wouldn't get up, he gently touched him and moved on. What's important about this is that what the sunnah of the Prophet was, 
was to teach us that when these matters come to you, when you hear about this, this is not for you then to say, oh Bilal, oh, oh Da'ud, oh Khalifa, oh Khalid, oh whoever. Hey, don't worry about them. Whatever they say about you, you know, it's not true. That they're the, you know, no, he's not addressing him. He's not telling him, well, you know, if you could just behave a little bit better, or maybe if you could dress more like us, you know, maybe if you could pull your pants up a little bit better, or maybe if you could, you know, talk with our accent, or maybe if you could change your name, or maybe if you could do thus, maybe if you could earn a little bit more money, or maybe if you could change the neighborhood that you live in, or maybe you could change your accent, or the way that you speak, or maybe if you change the, the, the lyrics that you listen to, or the, you know, the music that you listen to, maybe if you did that, he would like you a little bit better. Maybe then you would be worthy to be in his, you know, in his company. Maybe then he wouldn't treat you like that. But this wasn't the case of the Prophet he said that the problem does not rest with Bilal. The problem rests in the one whose ignorance was literally eating away his heart. And you know, the thing about Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, which is a little bit mind boggling, and we see this today, is that Abu Dhar al-Ghifari was considered to be somewhat darker skinned than most Arabs of his time. But see, this situation is one where you feel like, well, it's not just, you know, you're darker skinned than me. It means that you're, you're not from us. You're not from amongst us. And we hear some of this sometimes amongst, we'll just say people of, of, of different colors. We'll say even people of color, we still sometimes have a feeling, well, you're not, you know, you're not exactly from us. You're not from my tribe. You're not from my nation. You're not from my people. Even though I might be a shade lighter than you or even the same color as you, what I'm basically saying is, I'm, you know, you're still not from us. You're still something other than me. But the beloved messenger of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam would remind us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us you will not enter Jannah with one ounce of kibr in your heart. One ounce. One ounce of belief that I am better than you. And then we need to ask ourselves, who taught you you were better than them? Who taught you that they were beneath you? Who, who taught us that black folk were not worthy? We're not worthy of our time or we're not worthy of, who taught us that? Is it our love for proximity to wealth? Is it our love for proximity to status? Is, that, is it our love for proximity to power that we'd rather shun them than advocate for them? Because what the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us in this moment is that it's not enough to be non-racist. That we have to be anti-racist. It's not enough to say, I don't, you know, I, I don't harbor anything in my heart for them. Like, I'm not concerned, you know. Like, I don't, you know, God help them. They've been through a lot. Click. Turn the channel. Or worse, or worse. As I heard this week, someone say they deserve more than that. When they saw the videos of George Floyd, I, I literally heard someone from our Ummah say that they deserve more than that. 
I said, wow. So after they looted Africa and continued to loot it for its resources, for its gold and minerals and strategic minerals that we use in our cell phones, as they continued to loot it for its wealth and its genius, as they continue to loot it even for at this moment for their test trials on coronavirus, as they continue to loot it, that wasn't enough to kidnap them, to erase their names, to erase their religion, to, to literally rob them of their entire heritage, to strip them from their families, to separate husband from wife, wife from child, child from mother from her baby, to literally and then steal milk for their own children, they would literally steal the milk from a mother who would need to nurse her baby. They would take milk from her and give it to their children. That wasn't enough. To basically the colonization of bodies by rape, and all, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. How the transatlantic slave trade, that wasn't enough. Jim Crow wasn't enough. To When they protest to sick dogs on them, as number 45 mentioned, might, they might do again. To sick dogs on them, that wasn't enough. To incarcerate them for your own profit, oh, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough, they deserve more than that. Subhanahu may Allah save us from what we deserve. May Allah save us from what we deserve. Because the Prophet was teaching us what do we do with privilege? And it is definitely not to look down upon another people. I want to address, inshallah be in the time that we're in. What time do we live in? Because if we're talking about the Prophet, we could say well, we're no longer in slavery. We could say that, you know, we're no longer in a time where, you know, that's really an issue. We've had Obama, right? We, we have, we, we listen to Imam Siraj. You know, we bring Imam Zaid on. We don't have these problems. Not really. Like, you know, and basically, yay. Like they, you know, they, the police got charges. They got charges. We won. Listen. The issue with police brutality is that it is one of the arms of the entire system of structural racism that in itself is steeped in white supremacy and one victory in order to quiet the people so they won't burn the city down in order for you to be quiet is not going to erase the entire structure that is present. Literally, the police system are literally acting upon the, when they call in a code, Right to in, 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 into the I guess into the station or to dispatch others the same codes that they called into and the same penal codes that they use and to incarcerate someone are the exact same slave codes that they used during the time of slavery. This is it's not a system like oh the justice system is broken it's not working no it's working exactly to the way that they intended. We as Muslims have got to get better. We've got to become more intelligent. We've got to become more involved. We've got to become more aware. We've got to follow the sunnah of the Prophet that this is the time. We are in such a time now, and if we are paying attention, that we are like in the time of Musa alayhi salam, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends plagues upon the earth. He is sending us all kinds of natural disasters. And for him to send us George Floyd at this particular time, he's sending us this at this particular time because he's saying, I've tested you. I've shown you my power. Now I'm going to test you with where are you now? Do you understand? Do you understand? That you've got to rip this out of your heart. You've got to remove this before you stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the story of Musa, there was something that Pharaoh was afraid of. 
And I want to, there was something that Pharaoh, he was afraid of. And he was afraid, basically, that there was someone who was coming to replace him. Someone who would take his regime as seeing him as the one who is supreme. And that they would, you know, basically take over. And as a result, that he would no longer be in a position of power. And this is exactly the situation that we're in today where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in Surah Al-Qasas. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Wa nuridu annamunna ala alladhina astadifu fil ardi wa naja'anakum a'immatam wa naja'anakum al-waliteen. That Allah says, and we wanted to confer favor upon those who were oppressed in the land and make them leaders and make them inheritors. In order, and then the next verse goes, says in order to show Fir'aun and Haman, to show them exactly that which they fear, to show Haman, and establish them in the land and show Pharaoh and his minister Haman and their soldiers through that which they had feared. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this time is checking us by, a, by checking one people by the means of another people. He's checking the status of our souls. So he, know, he knows the status. He's telling us, check the status of your soul based upon your actions of how you treat, feel, think about, sacrifice, are willing to give for another people based upon our ideas of them. The stories in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us about the story of Musa is the time that we're in now. It's the time that we're living in now. These were not tales of the ancient. Allah ta'ala preserved these stories in order so we would know how to act, what to do. He didn't give us the sunnah of the Prophet so we could say, well, that was something of old, that was something of the past. If we're worried that this country is in a time of crisis, if you immigrated to America, that you immigrated in a time of crisis. Then it was never a time that it wasn't in crisis. We just weren't paying attention. We were choosing to basically tune out the noise in order to just focus on what we wanted to focus on, whether it was making money or the same things that we want in order. We want good health care for our children. We want excellent education. We want them to be successful, own their own companies or to get good jobs. The same thing that we want for our children is the same thing that black folk want for theirs. But the Prophet told us, that you will never have Iman until you want that for your brother and your sister what you want for yourself. So if somebody, right, if we look at our brothers and sisters and say they cannot have proper health care for their children because somebody has their foot upon their neck, they don't get proper education, they're not going to go to Yale, and sometimes they're not going to make it. Many of them are not going to make it into NYU or Harvard. Why? Because literally when it came to their schools, they didn't give them the same funding. They didn't give them the same money. Somebody had their foot upon their neck. So they're not going to get the same education. So therefore, they're not going to excel to the same social status, the same economic 
socioeconomic status as a people, as a whole. Yes, there are a few that slip through the cracks, but as a whole, why? Because somebody had their foot upon their neck. And our job as believers in order to save our own selves, to save our own souls, to say, I really believed in you, ya Allah. I meant to be lahi wa rasuli, is to take their foot off of their neck. That's our job. To enjoy the good and forbid the evil. That's what makes you the best of nations. And if we're not doing that, then we're not following the commands of the Quran, nor the example of the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. Bismillahi rahmanu rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wasalam. Ana Sayyidina Munan Muhammad. Wa ana ali Sayyidina Munan Muhammad. Ya Allah. I ask you, Ya Rabbi, give us hearts that you will make us people who are truly concerned. Ya Rabbi, give us hearts that are concerned about others. Ya Rabbi, give us hearts that cause us to act in a way that elevate others, not only ourselves. Ya Rabbi, give us hearts that will obey the commandments in the Quran to enjoy the good and to forbid the evil. Ya Rabbi, make us truly Muslim. Ya Rabbi, make us truly people who follow the example of the Prophet Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. Ya Rabbi, make us amongst those, Ya Rabbi, who bring light to others. Ya Rabbi, make us amongst those who are means of justice and mercy for others. Ya Rabbi, make us amongst those, Ya Rabbi, that uplift oppression, Ya Allah. Ya Rabbi, make us those who truly believe in you and we show that by our actions. Ya Rabbi, I ask you by your infinite mercy, Ya Rabbi, that you give us a light from your light, an honor from your honor, a dignity from your dignity. Ya Rabbi, make us amongst those that are beloved to you because we did exactly as you commanded and we did as the Prophet Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam gave us the example to do. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzata amin yasifun wa salamun ala mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen alahumma ameen afwan minkum wa jumubah. Jazakallah khair, Shaykh Aisha. I just had a couple of announcements as we're wrapping up. Uh, inshallah, this Saturday, there's going to be a gathering taking place. It's called the March for Stolen Lives and Looted Dreams, the Take Back. Uh, Saturday, June 6th at 10 a.m., be meeting at the Frederick Douglass statue at 110th and Central Park West. And at 11 a.m., they'll be marching to Washington Square Park, uh, where at 2 p.m. there will be a rally. Um, this is being hosted by the Gathering of Justice, which was founded by Harry Belafonte, Until Freedom, uh, which was co-founded by Tamika Mallory and Linda Sarsour, uh, the Ark of Justice, which is founded by Minister Kirsten John Foy and other organizations. Uh, we'll send out some information on it to our mailing list as well. But again, that's taking place this Saturday, June 6th. Uh, and then online, um, our students are gonna be a part of an event it's called Solidarity in Times of Disparity, Uniting for Racial Justice. And the speakers are gonna be Imam Dawood Walid, Ustada Nuruddin Knight, and Imam Hassan Akbar. It's gonna be Sunday, June 7th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we'll be sending out some more information on that, inshallah. Um, the IC is going to continue to host our regular halakas over the course of the week. Uh, with Sheikha Aisha Prime doing one every Wednesday night that you all are open to join in on. Uh, Sheikh Saheb Webb on Tuesday nights, Sheikh Faz Jaffer on Thursday nights. 
Uh, we're also hoping to roll out some more programs and initiatives, inshallah, uh, to help as a community um, deal with uh, elements of anti-blackness that are within our own community at the IC uh, to help those of us who are non-black people of color learn better uh, how to be allies of our black sisters and brothers uh, at this time as well as beyond this time inshallah that once this injustice oppression uh, is overcome we continue it's not just in a moment but it's forever uh, rooted within and something that we continue to do on every tomorrow that we see that we are in this world, inshallah. Uh, and so please look out for emails that we'll be sending out um, that have resources for education, for learning, events, programs. Uh, we'll be sending out some recommendations on organizations that you can support um, financially as well uh, and where you can help to share and spread some of those things. We would appreciate it, inshallah. So again, on Sunday, uh, there'll be the program um, with our students uh, taking place online and we'll send out details on that. Uh, Saturday, there'll be the march and the rally in Washington Square Park. Uh, and we'll be sending out more resources, inshallah, for your all benefit. If there's things that you um, have that you feel like the community can benefit from, uh, individuals who we should be centering their voices at this time, uh, black leadership that uh, you are aware of that you can help connect us to, please do make those connections and contacts, um, resources, learning materials, curriculum, whatever it is, uh, please do let us know, inshallah ta'ala, so that we can continue to disseminate that. Um, uh Sheikh Aisha, I don't know if there was anything you wanted to add in before we close and wrap up for today. Or if you're good, if we, we closed here. Yeah. Yeah. And please keep Sheikh Aisha um, in your du'as and prayers. Allah make her a continued source of benefit and blessing for our community, uh, as well as for all communities. Uh, may he increase her and uh, give her and her loved ones only the best in this world and the best in the next, inshallah. Um, so we'll, we'll see you all again soon. Barakallah uh, fikum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.